Fear and shame prevent learning and cut off connection. They're a brick wall from everything you want. On this episode, we're talking about the thing no one wants to talk about, fear. This is Don't Say Content, created in partnership with Share Your Genius. I'm Katie, your producer, and these are your hosts, Devin Bramhall. The question you should be asking yourself is whether or not you should do something, mm. not whether or not you can, because the failure comes in the form of doing it and killing yourself to do it for what reason? And Margaret Kelsey. You don't have to incorporate every piece of feedback that you've ever received in your entire life because we're all doing it differently too. We're all making it up as we go along. Okay, Margaret, I have a question for you. I have an answer for you. I think this is particularly something that has been more top of mind since you and I both started consulting and advising. Don't you think it's crazy that everyone thinks we know what we're doing? <laughs> yes. Yes. That's my answer. Yes. Yeah. I have an answer for you. Yes. I was talking to someone last night who is going through some work challenges and she was processing in a really like introspective way. It was like a really kind of a rewarding con- uh, conversation to participate in, but I hear this a lot. I think there's this idea that like I'm confident mm. and like sure of myself. And that like I have a plan. You know what I mean? Like people yeah. always think I have a plan mm. and they think I know what I'm doing. And I just want to say no. And not Never. that many people do. And I would say I was gonna say nobody does, but I, you know, maybe there are some people out there that do you have a plan? But ask, like, tell me this, Devin. Do you think that it comes from you really feeling like no matter what, you'll be able to figure it out? Like you don't have it figured out, but you have a confidence that you can figure it out? So it's not necessarily that I have confidence that I can figure it out. It's this inherent need to figure it out no matter what. You know, the thing that my mom said to me, I experienced this period of burnout, self-inflicted when I was in Boston. And I was just trying too hard on every front. And I remember talking to my mom on the phone and she said, Devin, the question you're asking yourself is whether or not you can do it. Hmm. But she said, name me a time in your life where you failed. Like just fail. Like you tried to do something and it didn't work. And I was yeah. like, Never. She said, the question you should be asking yourself is whether or not you should do something, mm. not whether or not you can, because the failure comes in the form of doing it and killing yourself to do it for what reason? So to your point, I think after a certain period of time, you get enough reps in that you know that somehow you can make it happen, usually by finding other people to help you and give you know brute force yeah <laughs> i don't know what do you like what has been your experience as i'd say particularly as a leader and trying to lead with confidence but not really knowing exactly <laughs> like not always having the answer but having to like have the answer yeah I consider myself a relatively self-aware person and I got feedback um, in my last full-time role 
that I came across as calm and confident. And that's not how I experience my own work and my own relationship with work. I feel frantic. I feel chaotic. I feel a lot of self-doubt. And so then I feel like it kicked off introspection in myself of like, like, what are the behaviors that I'm doing that come across unflappable? But I think like it's a helpful thing to know that you will be okay no matter what. I think it's probably tapping into that, right? Tapping into this like deep understanding that like regardless of the worst case outcome, you will be okay. And knowing that deep, deep down and having that kind of sense of self is probably how it manifests. And also being around the block a couple times. I think I've now seen so much change and so much thrash in organizations that it it kind of comes across as like, oh, of course that's happening. Yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah. everything is changing all of the time. I think you nailed it around the determination. I think that does portray a significant amount of confidence. You know, if, you, if something's put in front of you and you say, I will do this, I will figure this out. I think that's what sort of makes people experience confidence in you. I remember there are two examples of this that are like not work related, but sort of illustrate it perfectly. Anytime I've gone to volunteer, like I walk into a situation where I'm unfamiliar with everything, Mm -hmm. the people, the job to be done, et cetera. And so somebody tells me a job to be done and I start to go do it. And every single time (laughs) I end up working with a group of people who eventually come to me and say, okay, so what's How do I do this? <laughs> I'm like, I'm not in charge. And they're like, really? When I was, when I was in middle school, I was like 11 years old. My mom sent my sister and I to this farm uh, a few towns over in Natick. And they put you together with like a small group of people and you go do various aspects of running the farm throughout the summer there were two sort of cohorts and I was in the second one. So I'd been through the first one and now I have a new team. It was these two boys, my age still. And I remember the first task the first day was we had to move a pile of cow poop. And I grabbed the pitchfork, walked to the top of the pile. And I was like, okay, you over there, you over there. And I'm going to take this Isn't that a metaphor of startup life is standing on a pile of cow poop directing people on what to do? (laughs) But that was, and they just, they loved it. They were like, okay, Devin, what, like the whole summer and they like the last day of this whole sleepover, you know, there's a huge camping experience and they were like my buds. Like they loved me. They're like, we're going to miss you. Cause I just told them what to do. And they were like, this is fine. You know? Tell me about though. Um, because I, I mean, now with this podcast, I've worked with you. I would say yeah. like before we've never worked together and now yeah. I've officially worked on a project with you. And there are moments where I see that veneer crack and I see the self-doubt creeping in. And so talk to me about, talk to me about those, those parts, those parts, not to just put it right back on you, but no, I mean a lot like my senior leadership team at animals definitely saw this more. And it's true. You have to get really close to me to really see, which is weird because I'm, I've been very publicly vulnerable on LinkedIn 
uh, and even in front of my team before. So I'm, I'm actually fine being vulnerable in the world, but there's a way in which marketing other companies has been a crutch for me because it's never me. And so I feel braver, but going through the podcast experience, you experienced this the other day. I like, I was like, these clips of me are like, I look crazy. I was like, why do like, I seem like this insane, especially like next to you. I have this feeling that like, I always look insane and you're always like, and here is a well-presented, calm, logical statement. And I'm like, ah, you know, <laughs> and then like even prior to putting this out, what were the emails I sent you? I was like, is this good? Are people going to hate it? I, that thing I asked Jay Akunzo, I was like one episode was out. Yeah. One said, episode. Okay, when should I be asking for feedback? How many people should I ask? Like, how do I, blah, blah. he's like, stop. Yeah. Don't. Don't just create. (laughs) It's like literally just don't do it. Keep creating. And so I think that's where as much as I am, I can't help but say what I think. And that does get me in hot water sometimes, rightfully so. I'm also really afraid of being found out. Mm. This is my fear my entire life and especially in my career. And one of the reasons I didn't always talk as much. It's because I was afraid someone was going to find out that I didn't know the answer or that my answer is wrong. Mm. And we've talked about this. You know, you wrote the newsletter one day and you wrote it in like 10 minutes. Well, because I had to. I only had 10 minutes to write it. (laughs) Right. But like, I can't do that even if I only have 10 minutes because I'm so fearful that I've said something wrong or you know, that I've analyzed it the wrong way. It used to take me two hours to write a LinkedIn post because I was afraid, oh, if I say this, they're going to worry. They're going to think I don't know this other thing. That sometimes happens with our clips. I'm like, this this makes it look like I don't think the same thing. It's like, oh my God. (laughs) Like, this is me now today. Yeah. And it all comes back down to what if everyone finds out that I don't know everything or that I'm stupid, or what if I get something wrong and they all see? And that is like my whole life. Yeah. And I mean, walking you through that, like, what do you think would happen if you're wrong? I'm afraid of being publicly ridiculed because Mm -hmm. you know what? It's happened to me a lot. Not in the sense of like posting something on LinkedIn and someone telling me I'm like wrong more in my job itself. This happened to me at my first job at SpringPad. Mm. This happened to me quite a few times where like I was told I was did something like stupid in, in a way that made it look like I was stupid mm. in front of – because that stupid office. Remember when it was like, oh, we do these open offices yeah. and like everybody hated it except no for the privacy. founders. Yeah. yeah. Well, because they also had a dedicated workspace somewhere else. <laughs> And they just like didn't trust their team. So they just need to see them working all the time. Like developers hated it. We hated Like everybody hated it. And even in school, I was like bullied a lot. Not in like a physical way, but in like people putting me on the front of things in a really mean, horrible way for everyone to see. And I just, I, I haven't gotten rid of it where I'm like, what if I go up there and I say something and everyone's like, she's stupid. And so I think that's what I'm afraid is going to happen constantly. That's part of being a leader, which is the funny thing. is like that's going to happen 
a lot. And I was going to say, I think the other thing is we've also like bring it full circle is that it has happened a lot and you've been okay. So why are you so worried about it? You know, which is, but I think this is, this is the thing, whether it's feeling like you're going to be stupid, feeling like you're going to be called crazy, feeling like you're going to be called whatever the adjective is in your brain that is stopping you from doing the thing or accepting feedback about the thing. You have to examine where it's, I think, where it's coming from, but also remind yourself that, like, if it has happened to you before a lot and you are, in fact, okay, then why are you putting so much drama around it happening again if you know that you're going to be okay, right? You have the skill set to be able to to surround it and deal with it. And, like, I've received so much feedback in my life through my direct reports, my bosses, two coaches – therapist like no one in my life lets me get away with anything and that's why they're in my life (laughs) so that back to this this fear this instance of fear and feedback one of the things that got me more comfy with receiving critical feedback is accepting the fact that receiving critical feedback is always going to feel a little bit uncomfortable yeah and if you just being able to like understand that and knowing that my first reaction inside is always going to be a little frustrated and knowing that reacting in the moment isn't usually helpful. Yeah. It's like, Oh, let's ride this wave. The first little bit of it's going to be uncomfy. That doesn't mean that that's what it is. And then I totally agree. I think you and I have that similar personality trait where I want to be so perfect. I really, really want to just have figured it all out, be all buttoned up. And I'm not very much. And I fail all the time. When I, in the past, had gotten critical feedback, I had heard that as you try so hard, it's not enough. You still like don't have it all together and for some reason that was like absolutely demoralizing to me and I think I've definitely gotten to a place where I'm like oh yeah of course like I haven't gotten it all figured out my grandma had always said aren't we all just muddling along and in my 20s that scared the shit out of me is that that we would all still be muddling along when she at the time was in her let's say 70s telling me that and now I find it very freeing to hear her voice in my head saying aren't we all just muddling along and I think that's a good mantra when you're receiving feedback critical feedback is we're all muddling along we're all trying to get a little bit better and if you ride that wave I think you can get to the other side and and then incorporate it if it's useful too that you don't have to incorporate every piece of feedback that you've ever received in your entire life No, absolutely not. I've received some pretty mean feedback and I chose not to take it to heart. And it doesn't even have to be mean. It could just be like, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to integrate that into my, into my life, into my work style, into my whatever, because we're all doing it differently too. We're all making it up as we go along. Yeah. Although I will say like, that's somewhat of an earned thing where if you take that stance too early, you miss out on some evolution of your own self. So I think it's yeah. like in the beginning, you have to start with curiosity, experiment with seeing that feedback through and then say, oh, I am this type of person. And so like that isn't actually a solution, but something else will create a situation 
that ultimately the feedback was designed to create in the first place. I think how I think about that is if I take feedback from somebody, if I respect what they're doing in the area that they're giving me feedback in, if I look at them and I'm like, yeah, I don't want that part of your life. Right. Like if I'm like looking at their work life and I don't want to emulate their work life, probably not going to take and absorb a lot of their feedback relationship wise, life wise. And even like once you get into your work, like if it's feedback around creativity, if it's feedback around structure, if it's a feedback around communication, if you think that that person does a good job at that, or you like want to emulate that person, then absolutely take and incorporate that feedback. But if it's somebody else giving you random feedback and you're like, I actually don't like how you do that, then I think it's okay to just accept it accept it thank them for the feedback because it is hard to also give feedback right what's your experience been on the other side I think now you're pretty good at it but have you always been good at giving the feedback or has that felt like a place of fear too no so I have not reached the point of mastery in any part of my life and don't intend to because I think that mindset shuts you off from learning and growing so I would say for anything I've done I'm not perfect at it now, nor was I ever. But giving feedback felt different for me because I have a strong like helpfulness gene in me. You know how sometimes you join companies and they do like profiles of your personality and stuff for like co-working and whatever. Yeah. Everything that's ever been measured on me has always had that strong, helpful vibe. And so I like giving feedback because I like to help make people better. Like I want to help them. Hmm. The place where I've fallen short is I'm not direct enough and I work too hard to make people feel good. So sometimes I don't say it clearly enough for them to get the point. They miss the message because you you like compliment sandwich it to the point where they hear the compliments. (laughs) Yeah. And they're I'm like, like, I'm Ooh. killing it. <laughs> yeah. Tara McGeechee, who is my VP of revenue, who came in and like really whipped things into shape when she joined animals. Like she had a way of being direct, but also mm-hmm. empathetic that I really learned from in our short time working together. I was like, this is really, it was just so sober minded. Um, but there was something you said that like stuck out to me because I've heard almost this exact same thing recently from someone else where you said that feeling of you're trying so hard, but it's still not enough Mm. and feeling that way when you get feedback. I have felt that way before. And I was just talking to someone who had just received some critical feedback and felt the same way. And I so relate to that because that's the like messy difficult side of learning where you could be doing your absolute best and it isn't enough. Yeah. And it's because you have a learning opportunity in front of you. And that is really scary because that gets to that point of like, oh my God, I'm not good enough now. I'll never be good enough. That's when all those like negative thoughts filter through. Yeah. Even if you're receiving feedback in a really productive way. Those thoughts just come flowing in, not everyone, but for some people, myself included. Yeah. And it just goes back to nothing's enough. For me, when I think about the times that that has been the case, the scary part is that I have a blind spot. Mm. And I think the more that I can, the more that I've thought about 
other people as mirrors to show me my blind spots and know that I'm coming into a conversation, whether it's a one-on-one with a manager or review cycle or whatever, and be more curious about like, hey, what are you seeing that's my blind spots? And even asking that preemptively, I feel like then the feedback I receive I can absorb a little bit better because I'm putting my own brain and like, there's no way that I can see every aspect of myself. Like this person is going to mirror to me something that I haven't seen. But I think without putting my brain in that space, somebody coming in and giving me feedback about something that I haven't seen about myself feels too big and too scary. And then that like wave thing happens. That distinction can be really helpful where it's not feedback about the stuff that I am seeing and trying really hard on. It's usually feedback on something else that I totally missed in the process that's valid. But the fact that I didn't see everything is like horrifying to me, even though I know deep down that there's no possible way that you can be perfect and see everything and operate at, you know, perfection. But it sneaks up on you, right? Like that's, I think the unknown unknowns, they're surprises you don't want. And that creates a fear where you're like, am I going to be surprised in a way I don't want to be surprised? Like, and once you have an awareness that you can be surprised by your own self, and if you're a perfectionist and want to control every, like how everything feels around you, you're like, well, I can't control that. And all of a sudden you're like, it breaks your, um, (laughs) yeah, it's like, oh man, you know, this is the, one of the LinkedIn posts I wrote once I said, I feel deep personal shame every time I make a mistake. And I said that as CEO because it's true and it's a hard thing to, how do you fall in love with the parts of yourself you want to change the most? That's what my mom always used to say to me. She said, your mom is so wise. You told me the other, you told me too, one of the times that we were like in real life together that you, what is it? What you chase eludes you, what you become, you attract. And I feel like I wrote it down like mantra over the last six months, just become what you want to attract. I'm like, God damn, that's so good. Yeah. And you're like, my mom told me that. I'm like, your mom's very wise. She is. I talk to her a lot <laughs> still. When I would get frustrated in my life about something of myself I wanted to change, she would tell me that I have to fall in love with it in order for it to go away. And once you fall in love with it, you won't even have to try. It'll just Mm. disappear. I didn't always understand it. I believed it because I'm used to like wanting to like, I am going to fix this with my hands, right? Like this is going to, and I can see it better now where, you know, I have a meltdown and I'm like, okay, I made a mistake. Take responsibility, move on. So Margaret, I have a question for you. Do you ever think about giving up? Just oh, saying, I, fuck I, it. Just give I up. Give up all the time. What thing do you <laughs> want to talk about giving up? I gave up on full-time employment for a little while. Yeah, I gave up like directly managing. I gave up. And that was the thing is honestly, when I was making the call to leave full-time employment and and start this business. I was like, I'm either going to only have barely enough clients to support my lifestyle and then use all the rest of my time to become like a hermit, like have my garden, paint, do this stuff, or I'm going to lean all in and build a big business. (laughs) And it's funny. I feel like I did the latter at the beginning part of it. And then I've now kind of calmed down into 
into painting more and, and doing more of my art stuff. So I feel like I found a balance, but I was like, I mean, I give up, I give up things all the time. I feel like, like life is perpetual shedding of identities. Yeah. And I think based on last episode, when we were talking about pivoting around, I think that I am a master at pivoting around. And most recently I've figured out what like my mission is, um, what my values are. And I feel like I now can see how they get expressed through the world in lots of different types of ways. And I can pivot around them. One can be, you know, technology and being in the tech world and the B2B SaaS world. One can be more in my art. One can be more in even raising a son in this chaotic world. And so thinking about what's core to me stays still and knowing that like I'm not giving up on that core identity. I'm just giving up on the activation of it in the certain way that I'm going about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. This concept has come up in a couple of conversations all in the past like week and a half where I was talking to one person about their job. And since I've known them, they've been out at that job for a long time. They both liked it, but also there is some like a little bit of values misalignment with leadership, et cetera. And they were encountering a challenge and asked for my advice and we were talking about it. And one of the things their partner asked them was that was, you know, is this a grass is greener situation or is this really a situation you don't want to be in anymore? Yeah. It's not healthy for you. And it made me think about giving up as a strategy where I said to them, based on what I'm hearing from you, and this is just my opinion, like, feel free to give up. Like, this isn't worth it. <laughs> just like give up and it's not, it's fine. Like, it's. I feel like if by the time somebody's going to get an external opinion on whether or not they should give up or not, it's probably that they know, you know? Yeah. yeah. I feel like nobody's doing that on a whim. No. Although I will say I put a lot of thought into my decisions, but there are those times where your gut just tells you. Yeah. And I would say that was my experience with animals where non-dramatically, you know, there's no blame. There's not, I was like, like I'm it done. is time right now. <laughs> I was like, I am absolutely finished, right? Yeah. And now it doesn't actually play out that way, right? You have to like, you know, I have conversations with my leadership team, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's a process once you make that call. Yeah. But in a way, it was one of the easiest decisions I've ever made. I was going to say, does it surprise you when your brain can switch that quickly into, oh, I'm done? Yes and no. I I personally... I don't know what this is about me. Like I like staying with the same thing for a long time. That is my preference. It's why I didn't pursue client work for a long time because I didn't like the constant switching. I like to invest in something for a long time. But I do feel like I have a ruthlessness now. Ruthless cutting of words, of things from my – even friends – that I haven't had before. And maybe it's just turning 40 that's done it, but Is that a bound is it boundaries? <laughs> I think it's so. Just a good bound good boundary. I think so. Yeah. I think so. I have in the past questioned, am I missing an opportunity by leaving? Mm. And I think that usually comes up like at, most of the time when I switched jobs, I was taking a step up 
or learning something new. So I was really clear at those times. I I didn't question it because I wasn't, I wasn't just leaving something. I was running towards something else. And I think when you're caught in a position where your circumstances aren't great, I had to get the both times where I should have just run. I had to get fired. Like they had to fire me. I was like, I kept you kept trying kind of your head at the wall. Yeah. And I was becoming more and more like my behavior was getting worse because I wouldn't give up. And I was sort of, you know, I wasn't, I wouldn't say looking back that I was in, if I had just left, I would have, I would have been able to say, I didn't like the way I was being treated or I didn't like the vision or how things were going forward. And so I left to pursue a situation that's good for me. And I think that's what the animals situation came to. I was like, oh, Walter and I just like don't have the same vision anymore. And we always did, right? Like we didn't agree on tactics hardly ever. Yeah. That wasn't our job. It's actually better that we didn't because <laughs> I learned a lot from him by disagreeing with him constantly, right? Yeah. Um, because that breeds more and more conversation. That, argu- that argument is a deeper understanding of another person's perspective if you can let it in. And it actually, I probably never gave him credit for this, but like, I ended up doing a lot of the things or incorporating more of what he was trying to push me towards. It wasn't exactly what he wanted. And so it never looked like it, but I was like, oh, I, I ended up listening to him a lot, even though I always disagreed with him. But when it came down to something like you were talking about earlier, like core and fundamental, I was like, oh, I just don't want to do that. Mm. And this was a, you know, this was a thing that made it really clear for me as I was like, my job as the CEO is to protect the company and the people therein. That's it. And I said, if I stay and try to make this work, Walter and I will be at odds because I won't be able to meet him there. Yeah. And that will compromise the company. And so it became like math. I was like, like, I have to leave to preserve the thing that I love a lot. Yeah. And that was it. And it's like, there's no anger. There's no resentment. There's no, you know what I mean? Like, obviously you always have to work things out when you're in a relationship with something or someone for that long. Like there's going to be stuff you have to work through. And I definitely did. There were points where I was angry. There was points where I, you know, felt like things were unfair, but ultimately because I just gave up and said, this is it, I'm able to now look back and see all the nuance in that experience Mm. and have a net positive takeaway. Yeah, And I don't feel like a failure. I don't feel like I gave up on things when they were hard. It was hard 100% of the time. It was March 2020, the day that we told the team. It was like there was no point where anything was simpler. So, you know, I I think that's that's sort of where I came to around giving up. But it was interesting to see other people, you know, my friend, this other person I was talking to where they – they're going grappling with this thing is like, is choosing something else, another a job, failure. another career path, yeah. is that me giving up for the right reasons or is it me giving up on an opportunity to like grow, evolve, et cetera? There's two things that when you were talking, I was thinking about the first is like sparring with people. And I like that, especially at the executive level, if you can show up and spar with your peers in an organization and neither person walks away feeling angry because there was an emotional boundary that was crossed or whatever it is. But if you can just have that productive debate, I think that's a really, really 
powerful thing. And I think that shame and fear stops us from doing that a lot of the time and to have like a just a healthy down and out like, no, I agree the opposite. I agree this. And then the other part that I think is around like committing and even if you disagree, committing, right? And so I think at the, especially at that executive level, the executive team has to look around, understand everyone's point of views on that team. And if you disagree with the decision at hand, you either disagree and commit to that vision or you disagree and leave. And like, that's an also an appropriate answer is like, I can't actually even disagree and commit to this. So I'm going to go. And I think that's completely fair. And the more that we put emotionality behind it is where it becomes drama rather than to you. It makes so much sense to me where it just becomes math. And I love like when your brain can get to that point where you're like, oh, this is actually not even an emotional decision. This is just math. I just can't do that anymore. Yeah. It's hard to do, honestly. It took me all the experiences prior to get there. Yeah. Because I didn't always do that. I feel like wrapping this conversation into a bow, it's that fear and shame makes us emotional in a way that is unproductive if we're trying to actually have a cool head to make decisions to understand someone else's point of view. And the more that you can like heal those parts or understand where they're coming from or get to a place where you can operate without some of that fear and shame, the more that you are going to be a more effective leader, a more effective communicator, a more effective decision maker. Um, Because then you can kind of come at it from the respect of the fact that there are lots of different ways to do this. And we're all... As Grandma Poe said, we're all muddling along. Yes. No, you're absolutely right. Fear and shame prevent learning and cut off connection. They're a brick wall from everything you want. Mic drop. <laughs> I actually okay. do think that's a mic drop. And now a reading from Soulful Wealth Futurist Astrologer Jennifer Hirsch. I think that active listening is a skill set that is being eradicated. And I think it's one of the most invaluable tools that we have as human beings. Can I listen intently and like not judge myself or them in the moment to hear what I'm saying? Try and get as much out of it in as many facets as there are, right? We communicate so much as human beings on an intellectual level, on an emotional level, on a spiritual level, and like strategic level, where do we want the company to go? You always have to think about feedback in context, right? And there's so many nuances to the feedback you're getting from someone. It's where they've been, what they value, what the company values, where strategy for the company may be going, how they feel that day. There's a whole set of things that are going on there. And if you don't know all of that and you don't know what you want, how can you take the feedback in any direction to know what's essential for you or what's not? We're a generation that's totally upended work. Yeah. If you go two generations back, there's like very few of us are doing what our grandparents have done. There's no, and we're working in industries that have been invented in our lifetime. And so yep. we're coming up on so much new. And again, especially in these times, we're coming up on so much revolution and evolution and innovation on what all of this can be at such a rapid clip. So the world around us is at this like breakneck speed. And yet, as an astrologer, as an anthropologist, as a futurist, we're 
not that different as humans. What we want, how we want to seek. I can take millennium old astrology, look at it blind and tell someone what they want. Now, the challenge is how much can they internalize that and how much can they adapt that to all the different parts of their life, right? I've told everyone that the second half of this year is like the worst time to raise money because everything is retrograde and we're about to enter into the Aries Libra nodal access. So we've already been in this like very tribal period the last three years as we are, are readjusting what our values are within our tribes and kind of within like the things that we devote ourselves to. And it's going to move in even more individualistically over the next three years. Like no more collective, no more consideration, no more like it's just me. You're not going to care about a lot of people. We're all not going to care about a lot of people. And you may be an empathetic individual who recognizes the humanity and it all, and you may individually have a huge compassionate nature and recognize just how, what's at stake. But like, I don't think the next three years are going to be very pleasant, given all the indications I have. It may be individually lovely, but collectively. So what does that mean for people leading teams and leading companies? You're going to have a Sounds like you're going to have a tough time. You're going to have to work really closely one-on-one with everyone on your team. And you're going to have to figure out if you have a big team, how do you start to scale it so it's less one-on-one time? I Okay, so the next few years are going to be rough. It's going to be a very individualistic society that's going to bleed into the workplace, which means managers, leaders, um, CEOs, they're going to have to think differently and in a more personalized way about how to lead teams. Yeah. And co-create and really co-lead. And I wonder too, like what you're saying about the individual, a lot of the companies that I have been talking to specifically service-based companies where individuals are the product, they're leaning even more into subcontractors. So instead of hiring teams, they're contracting out, which is basically a version yeah of everyone as individuals because they're I, everyone's an IC, yeah. right? And it's based on the project. So I wonder if that's something that continues to grow in popularity because it allows people to exist side by side without having to unite them under the same sort of company values, mission, vision, all of that. One of the things that tech enabled us to do is kind of have a transformer approach to everything. It's like, okay, I'm going to connect this bit and this bit and this bit. And now I have something that's equivalent to a billion dollar, hundred thousand person org. And it's made up of 20 companies, you know? All right. This is where our show ends. If you'd like to leave Devin and Margaret your own executive thrashing story or nightmare marketing story, head to the link in our show notes. Thanks for tuning in. And if you like what we're doing here, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Maybe share it with your friends. Up to you. And I'll see you next time. But I was kind of more of a dragonfly girl in the 90s than a Uh, butterfly girl. You know, I was a butterfly one. We would have complimented each other nicely. Yeah. Yeah. As we do today.